0: Before we start, I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land from which I'm speaking. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. In our daily life, the decisions we make define us and the experiences we have. But decisions are often complex, can involve multiple people, present various outcomes and call upon judgment and experience. Welcome to the Decision Clinic podcast with me, Paul Gordon, CEO and founder of Catalyze APAC, with almost 20 years experience leading decision-making transformation and author of Hard Decisions Made Easy. Learn how to overcome problems by making great decisions and listen as I sit down with real people to discuss and diagnose real problems. So thank you for coming into the surgery today, Uh, Rob Kaslick. I think that's your name, isn't it? That's what your decision health questionnaire tells me from my receptionist. Please, Rob, I'm here today to help you diagnose whatever decision challenge that you're facing. So perhaps you could, you know, tell me what what ails you today in the decision world. Thanks for allowing me into your practice, doctor. I
1: run a social enterprise. It's a business for good. But importantly to me, it's a business. The more business that we can have, the more good that we can do, right? One of our challenges, good challenge to have, I acknowledge that, but one of the challenges that we have is we're getting a lot of funding for the impact side, so the you know to do good. As a social enterprise, we want to derive most of our revenue from business, from being able to sell things and using the profits to do good. One of our challenges, and again, it's a good thing that – we have really good outcomes on our on the things that we do so that we employ women who are vulnerable or homeless to make our food and products we're having a lot of, a lot of success in that and in getting them jobs posed and it's attracting government funds and, and philanthropic funds which is great my challenge is how do we get to a point where i don't want the program or the impact leading the business and so one of the things that i want to look at or investigate further is we take too much government funding and clearly we can demonstrate inca- impact for that government funding. But one of the challenges is, you know, in three years' time when the funding runs, we'll have to cut the program and kind of pull right back when other issues are coming up and the government chooses to, to go down a different path. And it's also a big distraction on the organization. Again, a great distract- distraction, but at what point do I kind of take heed and stop and essentially turn down funding for program or for good, and focus more on selling widgets or selling our soaps and catering and try to drive the business first. And I think it was a big part of that was coming through COVID when our business performed poorly, to be honest, because of various reasons, and we've had you know, more funding come through on the impact site. And this year alone, there is significant funds coming from a variety of sources, which is great because it's going to allow us to scale impact. And we, you know, we exist to change the course of lives of women, and this funding is going to help that. But one thing that's actually really important to me personally is, and one thing I love about the organisation is the business, the strategies they are coming up with new ways to grow revenue that we just do a whole lot of good with that revenue. And so there's kind of a, a point. And even when we look at our planning over the next three years, a lot of that is planning around program and less pr- planning around business and kind of scaling our revenue. And so I need to kind of you know stop or take heed of that a little bit and say, right, but, but then there's a point of like, Inherently, I set up this business to do good, and here we are, an opportunity to do a hell of a lot of good, but, you know, personally, you know, do I step out of the way and, you know, let the good grow and that, or do I kind of go hard on the business
0: and want to generate programs at our own accord, at our own pace? Right. Right. That's it. it that's sim- simple. Sounds, sounds like a simple challenge. Thanks, Rob. I don't think so. And <laughs> how so, long have we got this, this appointment? <laughs> yes. Well, um, don't worry. Uh, Receptionist will will make sure I keep on track on time because our next, of course, patient is waiting uh, already. Yeah. So we got to replace those magazines out there, by the way. Those m- magazines in the uh, reception area, are pretty uh, damn. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. There's there's some decisions obviously that need to be made better around <laughs> how we keep our patients entertained Thank while you. they're waiting. Thank so sure. so I think. I might need to ask you a little bit more yeah, yeah. about your business and so on so that I can understand a, a bit what's going on. But so what I hear is that the the kind of the pain that you're, you're experiencing at the moment, it sounds like it's a tension for you in your business between... We can be funded via some way, so government money, et cetera, almost directly to do the good, Yeah, but there's a bunch of risk with that, and the risk is if the government's agenda changes, that money goes away, we can no longer continue doing that good. Yeah. And so is the part of the tension for you how to be confident that you can continue and do more good sustainably well, over understand. the time? That's
1: it. Even the pitch to government and philanthropy and anyone who's backing us is that we can eventually like we don't have to keep asking for money if we can do the business is strong we can we can do the business but the volume of funds that's coming for the program is what is like i you know like to shoot high and and have stretch but i think this is, is really kind of of significant funding and i know that we can deliver on the program deliver on the impact but i guess where i'm not as confident Or I want to make more better decisions around, you know, making sure there's business first or whatever we do. There's revenue generation so that we don't have to put the hand out again or risk Mm. having to kind
0: of fold up shop and then, you know, start again somewhere else. Um, And that's the kind of, yeah, the issue. It sounds like you're in a similar situation to other people that I see where there's a bit of a balance somewhere between the sustainability, the long-term outcomes, mm-hmm. and the doing of good and the intangible value of of the, the work that you the, you participate in, and a bit of a tension there between the experience of, is it commercial versus is it doing good? Now, it would help me to understand a little bit more, so you've used terms like program yeah. and widgets. Perhaps you could just give me a bit of a picture of your organization, how it fits together, and what actually it is you do. Yeah, cool. So we sell catering mainly to corporates in Sydney.
1: So everything from morning teas to boardroom lunches to canapes for events. And we sell lots of lunches to you know direct-to-consumer. But we employ women who are either homeless or at high risk of homelessness to make that food. So we have a head chef and two or three second chefs. And then up to 10 women on program. And we say program, but it's a part of the business. We couldn't operate without them. And it's a six-month program or 6 months fixed-term kind of contract that we offer. And really, it's about, you know, believing in that person again. Many of them have never worked in a commercial kitchen. Many of them, you know, have gone through significant trauma, domestic violence, mostly. All we do is sort of say, look, we acknowledge the trauma you've had before you've arrived, but you've got a job to do. We believe in you. Go to the job. And then they kind of, you know, all of a sudden start to believe in themselves. And once they do that, the magic happens and then they have much more confidence to go about their life and, and are able to make better decisions themselves, better financial decisions themselves around their life. At about month four, we link them to other corporates you know, or you know, organizations that might like to employ them post too good. And then we turn over our staff every six months. On the business side, so the, the catering and the events business, because of the a level of kind of in impact or essentially inefficiencies in that all, in that kind of vertical, just breaks even at best. So we also sell a lot of soaps and lotions and sanitizers and like to corporates as well, into the end of trips or through the building toilets. I noticed you didn't have any of our soap in your, in your um, foyer as well. So I'll, I'll get my business development manager to speak to you after this. I'm sure that'll be an interesting decision to make we you know that's an easy kind of contract manufacturer we we you know we can grow that business and the you, you know the intention what we are doing with that um vertical is driving profits into pay for the program and so that's kind of the two part two verticals we have one's a bit more of a revenue generator one's lots lots of impact and and program. but like I say at best it is actually kind of loss leading the the food business because of the amount of impact that we have we also as part of that we also donate about a thousand meals a week to different women's shoulders around sydney and south sydney what that does is actually two things one it delivers beautiful food to women's shoulders secondly it actually puts the person on program in a position of power that they're actually supporting other women in a similar circumstance to perhaps what they were and so that's a big part of the food business and that's also where our social impact is and so, typically, that's the program that the government wants to scale or philanthropy wants to scale. Yeah. And and f- you know we have a an eighty five percent chance of getting someone a, a job post that program. Wow. Okay. Sounds which is like yeah, which is really good. And then the we, we'd never get hundred percent because we also we don't employ that person if at the start if they're kind of too far down their recovery journey or too articulate. We think they can get a job without us. We kind of work right. with really high needs, and so. At the point where we're getting to a success rate, right, we'll you know re look at the program. So actually, we can have greater impact with someone who you know would struggle much harder to get a job at the start. And so that's kind of the that's the organisation in a bit of a bit of a nutshell. Interesting, the funding that's coming in is f- trying to fund the the program. You know, the the operation of the you know social workers and the and the women to get you know to give that kind of
0: a starter for them to to take this to other areas of New South Wales. Right. Great. Okay. So I can hear that there's a couple of things going on. There's sort of two areas of when you talk about the, the doing the good, the having the impact, there's the helping women on a journey towards self-fulfillment and finding roles and so on. Yeah. And one of the drivers for that is we want to help those women we can give the most help to, yeah. not those who are already a long way. Out. So the, yeah. the the biggest piece of help, so that's one I can hear. So what I'm listening for, Rob, is just what are the drivers behind what you do? Because one of the things that will help you make these kind of hard decisions is being really clear on why it is you do what you do. Yeah. So one thing you what you're doing, what you're doing, is helping these women's on a path that will have them be fulfilled and empowered and engaged in community have jobs and so on mm. and the other i hear you is providing a better environment a experience of being valued to women in shelters through the food that you provide into those shelters so that sounds like yeah. that's the kind of yeah. the good that you do and then the commercial business is selling the catering side and then soaps and lotions yeah. and so on also to be clear on the, the way you do what you do is there a Social is there a social good component to that too? You know, if I walk into so if I put your soaps and lotions into yep. my bathrooms, will my patients come in and say, "Oh, it's great to see how you're providing for something greater than simply you've got nice soap." Yeah, so definitely. So the soap is a revenue. So we the profits from the soap go to
1: pay for the employment hour or the yep. donated meal, and so the soaps themselves, fifty percent of profits go straightly in, go straight into the program. So that's how we're going to look at funding or the growth in the organisation. I want to focus more on. The sale of those kind of products, the good
0: things we call them, right, purely so because it, it actually generates revenue to pay for the program. Right, great, okay. So that's that's starting to help me understand. So, so another question for you, just to, in decision making, what really helps us is start to be really clear on why, what's a good outcome look like for us. So, just perhaps. If you may, Rob, it would help me to understand a little bit of what had you get into this? How come you have this business that's doing this mixture of commercial gain to fund social good? Yep. How did you get there? Long story. No. Um, <laughs> no, so I was an engineer and I
1: set up a soup kitchen in King's Cross. I always loved, you know, working with people and being around community, being around people who are doing it tough, to be honest. And so as an engineer – you know every wednesday night i just go and feed about 50 people in the in the cross i used to love it like everyone we were busy you know i was you know always i don't have time to go this to do this tonight but it was my happy pill i'd get there and you know after an hour or so i, I just, just kind of feel elated and high so selfishly i would get a lot out of doing it but and i always wanted i always wanted to end up doing this kind of work but never knew how i was going to draw a salary mm. And so literally, you know, the, the soup kitchen, it was an organic soup kitchen, it was going quite well, doing about 50 people a week. It was part of a bigger soup kitchen, which is called St Candice's, and they serve about a 1,000 people each week. And so I had the dream of like, let's scale the organic soup kitchen on the Winter night to take over and provide an organic meal for a 1,000 people each week. I wasn't busy enough at engineering, <laughs> and so you know, I, I love a collaboration, and I work with some great chefs, and I, I work with an ad agency called Groga Five, and they come up with the name Tugel and they did this little, uh, they did this little video clip, and I actually set up Tugel with another engineer, and we worked all the weekend prior to prep for our launch. We were chopping – I remember doing sweet, cutting significant amount of sweet potatoes for this kind of fancy soup that a guy called Greg Doyle a chef, he's a famous chef. We had a peer restaurant back in the day. It was at um, Rose Bay. Anyway, it was actually rated top restaurant in Australia. He designed these soups, and so we thought, well, this is going to be crazy. We're gonna go, it's going to go off. And we launched on the Tuesday, and then there was like crickets. So we, we sold six, and, and so what the hell am I going to do with these six soups? The idea was we sell a soup. We use the profit to donate a meal to, to donate soup. And so these six soups left over to donate – and so I went up to women's shelter and knocked on the door and said, "Hey, my name's Rob. We did this thing called Too Good. These are designed by Greg Doll, and they looked at me funny." and said, "Who's Greg Doll?" I was them the story, <laughs> but then they they took these soups. And we, they were also in glass jars. Not probably, you know, they photograph well and look good on Instagram, but it was more so around trying to be sustainable with the packaging. And they took these soups, and then I was like, "Okay, that's cool." And then two weeks later, another women's shelter said, "Hey, we want some of those soups that you yeah, that you've just donated." And there was no problem. And when the third one said that hey, we want some soup, so I thought, actually, what's going on here? And I looked at one on LinkedIn, found this lady called Lisa McAdams. I went to meet, I gave her the story around too, and she gave me some really interesting tips. Lisa was a domestic violence consultant. And the next day, after telling the story, she wrote me a letter. And I didn't realize the time during the meeting, but she had gone through about seven years of quite significant physical and emotional abuse and ended up in a women's shelter in North Sydney. And she said, she, when she arrived, she was given a toiletry set. But for her, it wasn't the fact that she was given toiletries. It was the fact that someone had gone to the effort of wrapping this toiletry set in cellophane and and tying this really beautiful bow. And that someone had gone to the effort of neatening the ends of that bow really said to her that she was worthy of love and respect. So when people think about domestic violence, they rarely think about what was missing in that relationship the love and the affection and the care. And in that kind of bow was actually, she said said it was pivotal in her healing process. So I thought, well, actually, that's where our social impact is. And then let's focus on women in women's shoulders. You know, as we started to sell a few more, we thought, well, actually, we're going to need to employ someone to help the chef. Why don't we employ someone from the shelter? And so we did. And then, and then it sort of started to grow. And, and then I was like, well, this is where the heart is. Like, I'm, you know, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to go part-time engineering, part-time too. Good. And then bombed. a fail of both because no one really gives a <laughs> crap. You know, if you're an en- like in building service, no one cares what day you work, what day you don't work. And so I just said, right, stuff it. I'm going to keep the engineering certificate in the back pocket and go all in. The specific is still there. Like I, I kind of brushed <laughs> it off a couple of times during COVID, but I haven't had to kind of you know go back and and so yeah, I, I love it. It's just incredible to be a part of and the impact and the transformation that you know you can have when what you're really doing is believing in someone. And so that's kind of where the heart is. What I love also is the is the growing the business. You know, the challenge of growing a business that does does good. I mean, I think I I wouldn't be doing it there's no impact. I wouldn't be doing it for a standard business, but. The excitement of chasing the business and, ch- and growing the business and coming up with new ways of doing things and and thinking about things differently and using our values to guide you is incredible uh, in my view.
0: What I'm listening for and and this is a, you know an amazing story, Rob. So how fortunate am I that you walked into my my clinic today? Often poor decision making comes because we make it based on factors that we don't really care about. And you're in a very interesting situation, which I'm sure other people who might hear this conversation would would relate to, which is, on the one hand, there's kind of an obvious you should do this thing because this is the good that's out there. Others might hear this conversation and say, you sound like you're an entrepreneur businessman. You should be growing this business, taking the business to the moon. Come on, you know, what's going on? Don't worry about this good and government money nonsense, you know, you've got a clearly a commercially successful organization. And part of the challenge in decision making is to park those things that everyone else tells us we should be doing and actually get true to ourselves so that when we make a decision, we sit back and and with satisfaction execute on that decision uh, really well. So I can hear for you that two things at play, one is no question your emotional commitment to the impact you know you can have on these women and how you can see how that can scale. I sense this, and I don't want to put this into your put these words into your mouth, but this is my job as a doctor, if you felt that the good was going to turn off, that would be really bad for you. Okay, so there's a, a strong drive, back to that word I used earlier, I think a strong drive for you of sustainability of the good you're having. A risk in the sustainability is if it's dependent on a third party called the government policy, that turning off could have all sorts of dire consequences, which you don't want to have. That's what I can hear. And then I can hear the other thing that's driving you is your newfound enthusiasm for business, as in isn't there's a challenge here. So let me just ask you about that because that could be another driver. I'm just interested to understand how this shapes the sort of decision you're facing. What is it when you say, I love growing a business and seeing what's possible. Is it about growing this kind of business? In other words, this is not your everyday business that just sells widgets, makes money, and puts cash in the bank. This is a business that does what it does in order to provide the good, and there's a sort of direct and indirect relationship between the commercial outcomes, Called the indirect relationship is with the cash I can do good, and then the direct relationship called everything the business does gets another meal when it does direct good. So, what is it about that has you go? I love growing a business and the challenge of that. What's that about? I would like to say. I mean, I know that growing the business does good, right? That happens, but I think in my heart
1: it's more the the win or the you know the getting the deal or that that kind of chasing that kind of success side. I think I'd like to say that it's actually also the impact, but I. I found this role or this business quite late in life and I, and it's something that I'm enjoying that you know I think I'm quite good at and it's like a, and it's and it's just a nice spot to be in a, in a role that I'm really a, like I really I'm really happy with. And so I think the you know coming up with new ideas and new business and looking for you know the wins and trying to and the, and the success in that role. I think that's what is probably more the driver than on the business side than the impact. I like I said I would never be wouldn't be doing this if there was no impact but as far as on the business side what i love about it is really the challenge in getting to yes yeah, the challenge to kind of winning that contract or you know creating a really amazing product that people love and i think that's probably deeper that's kind of more the interest than i know our we wouldn't couldn't grow our organization with having that impact but the business side for me is tinkering away and doing something that solves a problem a little bit differently or the, the luxury of having that that challenge or have, trying to solve that a little bit differently. And that's kind of really been driving me a lot. Perhaps it is ego, like trying to come up with something new and something innovative. I'm not sure, but it's certainly, uh,
0: it's certainly what I love, that kind of tinkering away, the engineering side as well. What always works in this clinic is people to be open with what's really going on for them because You know one of the challenges of a doctor is treating the presenting symptoms versus treating the underlying cause and then in decision making what we're trying to do is to get to what's underneath that because the decisions that we make we get to live with them and either we're going to be satisfied or we're going to be deeply dissatisfied and most things i see as a doctor is people making decisions poorly such that they then wish they'd made a different decision or they regret where they've ended up so i did try using google before i hit like to come up with my solution but didn't work uh, unfortunately, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's why the, the doctor is here to help you. And my favorite diagnosis is a medicine, I guess I would call decision thinking, which is bringing some structure to your decision making, being some transparency to your decision making. And so I'm just, as we have this conversation, seeing how, how can decision thinking help you, Rob? If that's the diagnosis for what you're facing. The first thing in decision thinking is understanding how you make a decision. And actually it's understanding what the decision is. So we've talked a lot around kind of the background and where you're at, and I can hear some of the trade-offs that you're grappling with. So let's try and put our finger on the decision itself. Is the decision, is it about where to put your effort to either find more of the government money or grow the business more? Is the decision about when to say no to government money? If we were to try and catch this as a, I've got some choices here, what would you say the choices are for you? The decision is really, do we say no? There has been an indication
1: that the funds will, you know, will, will have to do a lot of work and a lot of governance behind it, but the, 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 we're fairly confident that the funds will, will be forthcoming. The decision really is, do we, A, take the funds or not? And then secondly, if we do take the funds, how do we ensure we are building the business or it's in line with where the business is going? Yeah, yeah, so how, like how, how do we make sure that it's not a distraction that's kind of off-brand? Whereas in my view, it'd be much better to, this is our product suite over the next five years. How do we make sure that's part of that? And, and so then it's easier and, you know, to, to grow the organization. This is an amazing opportunity to have significant impact, but, and so it's hard to kind of say no to that because of the opportunity. There's other organization that has
0: incredible impact as well. So maybe it's just a more of a perhaps not us. I don't know. Firstly, I'll say, Another thing that sits behind decision making always is a set of assumptions, and most often, one of the reasons we talk about transparency in decision making is those assumptions are often hidden away. Let me test an assumption. So, my assumption is, or I, I can hear an assumption behind your decision making is that you can have the commercial success, sufficient that will carry on the work that you're doing. So, so that's a you know that's an assumption that's a, might not be accurate, and of course. You know, something I say to all my patients is decision making is about the future. So there is no certainty or objectivity. There's always going to be some subjectivity about the decisions based on assumptions. So if the assumption is you believe you can have com- sufficient commercial success to carry the business on and to deliver the impact you have. So if we put that on one side for a moment, is that a is that a sensible assumption? Yeah, yeah. No, yep. I think so. Yep. If we put that on one side, then actually the decision sounds like... Uh, A series of decisions, when an opportunity presents itself, let's say a grant is available or you see some philanthropic contribution, actually the decision is, do we take this or not? The way I would diagnose helping you at that moment, firstly, is to have a clear way you would make that decision when it presents itself. And often making hypothetical decisions in advance of the fact don't help us because we go, well, if that happened, I might make this decision this way or the other until the decision presents itself. Often it's not useful to us. So what works is having a, okay, I know how I'm going to make that decision. And what I can hear in terms of how you might choose to make that decision is you know what matters to you. So what matters to you is the sustainability of the good. And therefore, you want to make sure that when an opportunity presents itself, it will deliver on that sustainability. In other words, there's not things attached to it that when it stops, here's what happens. So you could ask the question if someone says, Rob, here's a potential grant for you. First thing you can look for is, how does this support the sustainability of the impact? So that's one question you can ask. Second question you could ask is, uh, what I heard you say is, it doesn't work if the grant takes us in a direction that's inconsistent with the rest of the organization. In other words, it's going to have us have an emphasis on a particular demographic or a particular geographic that is not what we're committed to. Yet it looks like good money. And, you know, something to point out, and this is also a common uh, hidden thing for us is often when we see money, how we relate to the money is given by lots of past, as you say, wounds that are maybe wiggling around, etc. And our view of money and our value of money is different from our value of what the money provides for us. And so also what helps in decision-making is getting clear Put the money on one side what is the money providing for and you can imagine many people overhearing you having a conversation saying oh someone offered a million dollar grant for us and we turned it down you can imagine many people going you're crazy it's a million dollars but a million dollars to do something that isn't the thing that you're committed to doing is actually not worth anything so somehow getting so separating that out looking rather than what's the what's the dollars look at what is it buying because if what it is buying is directly on strategy for you directly in line in your commitment and purpose, then of course, it looks like a good thing to say yes to. And if it's not that, it's actually a sensible thing to say no to. So I would say my diagnosis for you is to develop yourself a clear process for making those decisions when these grant and, and other opportunities present themselves. At least two of the things you want to have in that process. One is what's the value of this in terms of The sustainability of the impact, and secondly, what does this actually provide for that's in line with our our business strategy and the outcomes that we want? I also heard another thing, and and just to test on that is you talk about you know your pride in the the culture and the values that you have in your business, and. One of the things that I also see a lot with other business leaders is, you know, where their businesses are, are not being successful is where the way they're running is inconsistent with their values. And so anything again that would a, a grant opportunity that comes forward that would have you operate in a way that isn't in line with your values will not be a happy place for you. I can hear. And so another test, your third test, let's say the third, what we would call in decision making criteria for whether you accept or not this grant money would be, can we operate in a way that's consistent with our values. And a place that one can look there is the values on the other side. In other words, who's bringing this money forward? How do they operate? And one of the places that can cause a lot of upset in decision-making is we might say, Yes, I'd like to take that money on. Then, our experience of working with whoever it is is now completely at odds because they've got some other agenda going on. There's something the, the way they that their culture might be at odds with our culture. And again, that sounds like that would be a decision that if you made that, you'd be unhappy with. The goal in all of this, in, in all of my diagnosis, is to have people make decisions that they're comfortable with that, of course, then turn out the results that they want. And that's only going to happen if you can make these decisions coherently and consistently with the things that you're thinking about so how does that help you rob that's great
1: that's a great idea i really appreciate that that's a good way to view the decisions the multiple decisions really
0: so thank you You're welcome. And I think that's a helpful thing for, for all of my patients to think about is to, as you can see what I did in our conversation, just try and get to what is the real decision here. And if we can see what that is, then we can find a way of making that specific decision. And for you, it's a number of decisions that you'll know you're going to be facing. And to be able to say, oh, now I've got a consistent basis for those. Each time you make one decision, you can sit back and move forward with great success and commitment and confidence. So Thank you for bringing that to the clinic today. And, you know, and, and of course, I know my role as a doctor is to be impartial, but I just do have to say, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and the, the contribution you're making and the impact you're having. It takes something to be, to explore this kind of issue with your decision health professional. So good luck. Thank you, Paul. Well, thank you, doctor. I also have a sore Do You do sore as well? Uh, I can refer you to someone else for All that. Right, yes. Nice. I'll give you a script at the end. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. And thanks, mate. I appreciate thanks. that. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to the Decision Clinic podcast with your host, me, Paul Gordon, CEO and founder of Catalyze APAC and author of Hard Decisions Made Easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to click follow for all future episodes. And for additional information and resources, check the show notes or visit me and my team at catalyzeapac.com. I look forward to welcoming you to the Decision Clinic again soon.